And we're breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. Just take a moment in your own way. Just just absorb, enjoy the grace of God right where you are. And breathe out praise. Lord, we praise and we thank You, Lord, for how good and how wonderful You are. Thank You for Your love, Lord. Thank You for a love that just climbs the highest mountains, goes down to the deepest depths. Thank You, Lord, that You love us with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Thank You for love so powerful that You came, Lord. Jesus came, Son of God, Son of Man. And Father, I just pray for our time that we would have a deep encounter with You, God. More than anything, that's my heart's cry, Lord. Today, that we would have a life-transforming encounter with You. And Lord, I note today that in the Word... These are the Scriptures which testify about You. That's what You said, Jesus, in John 5, 39 and 40. They testify. They point to You. They direct our heart toward You. They articulate who You are. And so, Lord, we, upon the testimony of Your sure Word, we come to You. And we praise You, Lord. We thank You for Your love. And Father, I pray that today we would get something of a glimpse through the Word and through the Spirit of Yourself, Your heart. And in that blaze of Your glory, Lord, that we would be so encouraged, so moved, and so made bold because of your grace, because of your heart, because of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. There is such a great sense of the presence of the Lord right here. And I just want to thank you for this privilege and this honor to just open up the Word of God with you today. And my desire isn't that you would see me, but that what is shared would bring the Lord's heart for you in clearer focus. I am convinced that if we could just get a glimpse of the greatness of our God, and the greatness and the depths of His love for you and for me, we would be unstoppable. I don't care if you are three years of age or 300 years of age. It'll electrify your life. It'll change your life. It's a story of God's love and His fulfillment of what He wants to do. And so that's my heart and my desire today. Um, This morning at 740, I got a call from a cheerful voice, Pastor Chet. They're in uh, Cape May, New Jersey. And so... uh, I think you'll hear this message, so everybody say, Hi, Chet and Sandy. Hi, Hi, Chet and Sandy. How about this? We love you. We love you. (laughs) They're having a good time. He's talking about golfing and shopping and that sort of thing. And So, Lord, just bless them. Give them a great time. and Not too good. We want them to come back. (laughs) All right.
What I want to do is I want to, I want to share with you one basic but profound thought. And here it is. God is glorified most by the grace He gives. God is glorified most by the grace He gives. How many of you want to glorify God in your life? Raise your hand. For those who are truly born again, children of God, there is implanted in you a burning desire that this wonderful, awesome, loving God would be glorified. And the big question is, how is he glorified? How does that happen? Lord, I don't want my life to fall short in this. In everything that I do, no matter what you do in life, whether you push a broom, it can be done to the glory of God. Whether you teach, whether you're involved with uh, medical arts, whether you're involved with uh, technology, or whatever your lot in life is, your desire, retiree, is... How may I glorify God? And I'm here to answer it right away by saying that God is glorified most in your life by the grace that He gives. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to go through a lot of Scripture today in the Old and the New Testaments and we're going to identify the places of the peak glory of God. Okay? And there, with that peak glory of God, we will see the grace of God. About seven years ago, I was talking with the Lord, and he was opening up the dimensions of the grace of God. And I began to get a glimpse of just how incredible it was. It was crazy love. It was love and God giving and blessing, not because of how good I am, but because of how good he is. As a matter of fact, God... Grace is God. That's important. Today there's a teaching on grace that's about you. Grace is something you do, you give, you extend. But I have looked at every instance of the word grace, the Greek word charis, in the New Testament. Not once is it something you're supposed to do. Only religion teaches that. Why? Because grace is totally in the domain of the glory of God. It is something that God singularly does. Now, as a result of God's grace, you'll see all kinds of things in the Bible where it says, love each other, forgive one another, serve one another, pray for one another. That's the, the, the life of grace overflowing in your life. But let me give you a very simple definition of the word grace. Grace is God totally loving you and totally accepting you and totally blessing you, not because you're so good, but because he's that good. Let me say that again. Grace is God totally loving you totally blessing you and totally accepting you, not because you're so good, but because he is that good. Let's talk about totally loving you and me.
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, how big was this love, that He gave His only begotten Son. Now think of the dimensions of everything in the giving of the Son. That's how radical is the love of God for you and for this old world. That He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a rescue from something awful bringing into a dimension of life that isn't just in heaven, but now it's everlasting life. It's as much as going out of death into life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Romans chapter 5 says, God demonstrates his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, we could have cared less. He was doing the die. That's how God demonstrates his own love. And I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but you who were dead in trespasses, in sins, following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who now inhabits the sons of disobedience. That's the way we all were before being born again. Who were by nature children of wrath, as the others, you he made alive. And here's what it says, but God. So you've got the worst of us encountering the awesome love of God. But God, who is rich in mercy. Do innocent people need mercy? No. Only the guilty need mercy. If I was to run to the Center County Court to Judge Kistler and say, please have mercy for forgiving, you know, have mercy on me for murdering somebody, he'd look at me. He says, there's no evidence that you've murdered anybody. You don't need any mercy. See, wherever you see the word mercy in your Bible, it implies guilty. And it implies not getting what you or I really deserve. That's the mercy of God. And here it says in Ephesians 2.4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, I need a lot of mercy. How about you? God who is rich in mercy, why would he be that way? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up and seated us in heavenly places, that in the endless ages to come, he might display the glory of his grace and his kindness given to us. Isn't that incredible? As the old black preacher said, a good friend of mine, Billy Dallas, he used to say, God reached down to the guttermost to raise me up to the uttermost. Amen. It's true. You see, there's no reason at all for God to accept you, and that's the second part of grace, God totally accepting you. There's not one reason for God to accept any person in this place or any person in the world. Because what we really deserve is the wrath of God. Everything hideous and wrong in the world today is the result of sin and sinners and reckless man. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, there's none who are good, none who are righteous, none who seek after God. You know what that means? That us in our best efforts in trying to please God, it's intermixed with selfishness. There's no reason for God to accept you except one. Because of His great love with which He loved us. Let me ask you a question. How are things between you and God today? Are they great? Well, no. So-so. How are things between you? Well, not good. Now you know something? You, your, how things are going between you and God is just as great as it is between Jesus and the Father. How good is the relationship between Jesus and the Father? Fantastic, right? It's a million percent awesome. You go, no, wait a minute. God, God thinks that my standing with him is just as awesome and fantastic as Jesus? That's right, because it was never about you in the first place. It was about how much he loves you. Do you know that God loves you because he loves you? He doesn't love you or me because we're so lovable. That's why Christians have this up and down roller coaster relationship. Let me tell a little secret, okay? We're going to diagnose a disease here, Dr. Burke. And we're going to give you the reason why with laser-like precision. Here we go. Do you know the number one reason why Christians have an up and down relationship with God? where it's great and it's not so great. Here it is, simply. It's because you think God is relating to you on the basis of you. No. That would make you God. But see, you are the creature. He is the creator. You are the created And so God is relating to you on the basis of His goodness. And so He's accepting you on the basis of the righteousness of someone else, Jesus Christ. Why did God do that? Because God knows full well if if my relationship with God is based on how good I am, it'll never be enough. And that's why Christians are struggling in their Christian lives today because they don't understand that God is relating to them on the basis of His own goodness, not your goodness. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, did the dying. You weren't even born yet. Anybody born 2,000 years ago? Didn't think so. You see, God had you covered long ago. In fact, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I believe, that you were given grace before time began. Doesn't that just make you want to worship God? Grace is God totally loving you, totally accepting you, and totally blessing you. How many want the blessing of God? Sure. Absolutely. Well, grace is God totally blessing you. All the good that God means to give, He can righteously give to you because of another righteous person, Jesus. That's why He did everything that He did. Jesus, when He came to the earth, the eternal Son of God became the 
Son of Man. God birthed in flesh. And from the moment of his perfect conception, all the way through his entire birth of a virgin, and life, Jesus, the perfect man, and the perfect God, perfectly walked out in obedience to the Father every step of the way. He didn't fail once. In fact, Jesus obeyed his Father perfectly from the heart with love. He did the walking for you. He did the righteousness for you. That's the grace of God. That's him totally accepting you and totally blessing you based upon another person. Now, there's something when we start talking about this that, that sort of wells up and goes, ah, I don't know about that. Wait, are you, are you saying, well, I don't really care what I say, right? What matters is what the Bible says. But, but it, that sounds like an excuse for sinning. That if you, don't tell people that. That'll give them a license to sin. Well, I've got news for you. People are sinning on the earth today without a license. And my Bible says in Romans 6 and 14, sin shall not be Lord over you. Shall not, shall not, shall not, because you, this is the literal Greek, literal Greek, literally do not exist under law. Law is what you do for God and fail. And that's why it's a ministry of condemnation. You, believer, exist under grace. Grace is the most powerful agent for the victorious life. It says over in um, Titus, I believe, it says that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and unrighteousness. What's this teaching that the grace of God will somehow give people a license to sin? Sounds like a teaching from hell. Because it's not the teaching of what the Bible brings. The grace of God is powerful. The grace of God is God totally Loving you, totally accepting you, and totally blessing you. Not because you're so good or I'm so good, but because he is that good. About seven years ago, I was in the midst of studying the covenant, and pastor's been teaching about this. And I warned him about this. I said, you are a fired up individual. I said, this is like throwing jet fuel on fire. Whew! You know what the covenant is? It's God's commitment to you. He's bringing you into a covenant of blessing, not because of you, but because of another perfect human being called Jesus, who's the perfect son of God. And so, as I began to understand the dimensions of grace and, and understand how crazy it seemed to me, it's not really crazy, but it's just, it's just so unbelievable, I just said, Lord, Why? Why are you doing this for me? Why are you doing this for any child of God? And the Lord did something totally unexpected. Over the next week, he took me on a journey through the Word of God and showed me many places in the Scripture where God is glorified most by the grace he gives. I want to take a moment and just speak about the glory of God. The glory of God speaks of everything about him that is spectacular, wonderful, awesome, magnificent, his incredible reputation, his incredible ability, speaking of God's attributes being all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. Isn't that incredible? 
There's nothing too difficult for God. God is so powerful, people debate whether or not the, 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 everything was created in six days, as it says in Genesis. You know what? God could do it in six billionths of a second. God could say to the universe, go away, boom, and it's gone. And say, come back, and it's back. That's our awesome God. He's just so incredible. When we speak of the glory of God, we're speaking about all that's attendant to the greatness of his being. And then his person is his character. Speaking of his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness, his faithfulness, his love. This is God ground zero. That's the glory of God. God is already glorious. You don't have to say a single word to add to it. The only thing we need to do is to recognize His glory. Wake up and see the majesty of the Lord. And in the heart of every believer is a strong desire to speak of Him. The psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. When we worship, deep down in our spiritual DNA is something that's crying out. You're incredible, God. You're amazing. I I could go crazy over you. I could run down the street and, and shout and yell and proclaim. That's in you because... He's been so wonderful to you. He's such a great God. He's such an awesome God. He's so loving. And God is glorified most by the grace He gives. I'd like you to turn in the Bible to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We'll begin in verse 11. 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 11. Now remember your Bible, right? The Chronicles is the Chronicles of the King's And the performance of the kings of Israel and Judah was really bad. If you were, if you've been through these books, you know that it was mostly not good. But God had his eyes on Israel. God had chosen Israel. Why? Because they were so obedient and wonderful? No. Because he loved them. He set his attention on this. Now what I want to do is I want to go through these verses, and I want to point out grace, and I want to point out glory, okay? That's all we're going to do through these verses. We're going to point out grace and glory, okay? So I want you to really pay attention to what you're reading right here. Everybody there, 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 13. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty For all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Now, folks, that's glory, right? That's glory. You can taste it. You can smell it. Now, let's see grace. Both riches and honor come from you. That's the blessing of God, right? Riches and honor. And you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. Now this is framed from the words of a king. He's recognizing that he's king and there's a kingdom because God has given it to him. And he says, In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, 
our God. We thank you and praise your glorious name. That's glory. You see it? Glory and grace right here. Okay, let's go to one. Let's go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, as long as we're in the Old Testament. Psalm 103, very familiar psalm. Remember that God is glorified most in your life by the grace that he gives. Grace is God totally loving you, totally accepting you, totally blessing you, not because you're so good, but because he is that good. By the way, we might hear that as a little exception. Oh, well, I I guess I'll bless you because I'm so good and you're not good. No, 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 no. That's his heart. He really loves you that much. He wants to do this. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. That is glory. That's the heart that wants to glorify God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. This is grace. Okay. Aha, I've lost the verse. Let me go back to the old-fashioned codex for a minute. Codex, this is what these things are. This is uh, technology from 2,000 years ago. It was up-to-date technology when they got away from scrolls. Okay, Psalm 103, good thing we brought this, Nathan, my son. Okay, Psalm 103 Who forgives all, say all, all, all your iniquities. I don't care what you've done, where you've gone, who you did it with. He forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all, say all, all. your diseases. I don't care what kind of a condition you're facing today from sniffle all the way on up to cancer. He heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. A destructive lifestyle needs to get a glimpse of the grace of God. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Oh, I could go on that forever, but I'm not. I don't have time. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. You know, this world promises so many things that will fill you up, but it just leaves you hungrier for more. Only God can truly satisfy the deepest longing of our heart. Now look at what it says here in um, verse 5b, and at my age, I'm 54, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I'll, I'll definitely claim that one. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. Remember what I said about mercy? Who gets mercy? The guilty, not the innocent. If you're innocent, you don't need mercy. If you're guilty, you need mercy. And he has this mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Ephesians 2.4 For as high as the heavens are above the earth, 
So great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Now what I want to do is go over here to... uh, Get my notes here. Verses 20. Starting verse 20. Blessed. So that was all grace right there. Here's glory. Bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His word, heeding the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you ministers of His who do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works, to all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You see, this psalm has got two ends of glory. And in the middle, a big middle, is the grace. It's got what God gives because he's that good. Let's go to Isaiah. Just go a little further down the Old Testament a bit. Isaiah 61. This is the messianic mission. Remember when Jesus came out of the desert and they, he opened the scroll? He read these verses from Isaiah 61 and they described all the dimensions of his messianic mission that he would carry out. Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. That's grace. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's grace. To proclaim liberty to the captives. That's grace. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's grace. To proclaim the acceptable or favorable, the grace year of the Lord. That's grace. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. That's grace. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that's grace that they may be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord and look at the end of that that he may be glorified Isaiah says prophetically 400 years before the Messiah Jesus would say these words of grace that the Lord may be glorified. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll begin in verse 3. Uh, verse 4. As you're going there, I just want to give you verse 3. It sounds like Psalm 103 a little bit. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's glory who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's grace. That's Ephesians 1.3 as you're traveling there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's glory. Who has, 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 has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's grace. And now we go to verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that's grace. 
that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, you may see that word and think, oh, I should do this. No. The reason why he chose you was to do in your life that which would be made holy and blameless before him. And look, in love. It's his heart of love. Having predestined. You understand what predestined or predestination means? And I don't want to get into a big debate about it, but it is a Bible term. It means setting a destination ahead of time. For those who are born again by the grace of God who are in Christ, I'll tell you what your destiny is. It's been set ahead of time before time began. And it's a destination of glory. It's a destination of, of awesome fulfillment of everything that God intends for your life. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Even before he started to build the superstructure, the, the undercarriage of the universe, he chose you. As a holy people, blameless, so there's no shame or blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. Do you know what adoption means? A chosen child. Sometimes the child is born into a family and they really don't want them. There are pregnancies that happen today and the last thing they want is the child. And unfortunately in this country we're aborting them at the rate of about 1.2 million a year. Now, that's a very prevalent thing. By those statistics, it's very likely even someone in this room has done this. And I want to let you know the riches of God's forgiveness and love of you. The blood that Jesus shed is so powerful it pays for the worst that we could possibly do. He chose us and look how we were chosen. We were chosen in Christ. In the man, the perfect man and the perfect son of man who accomplished all. When were we chosen? Before the foundation of the world. Long before our sin, long before our conception, our birth, life, death, everything. Long before everything. Even before when Jesus came and did all that he did, chosen before the foundation of the, of the world. And how did the Father do this? It says, by Jesus Christ to himself. So Jesus and everything that he does right was the ironclad, perfect guarantee of everything being fulfilled for you. See, everything good for your Christian life is not based on your performance. That's law. And the Bible says that the ministry of law is condemnation and death. Grace is all about God. It shuts every mouth that wants to claim credit and it gives it to God alone. The life that's been impacted by the grace of God has tears because that life realizes it's not because of me. It's because of Him. And I don't want to tell the world about me. I want to tell the world about Him. I'm excited about this thing the students are doing in a few weeks. I, I'm signing up. I'm like, all these students come to town. I'm excited, man. Hey, you know, sometimes we come to church and we feel dirty. We feel guilty. I don't know, maybe there was an argument in the car coming to church. But I just want to let you know that the radical love of God has said, look, 
son, daughter, I'm not relating to you on the basis of you. I'm relating to you on the ba- and your goodness. Your goodness, right. I'm relating to you on the basis of my goodness. That's, that's God. And, and do you see in these verses what it says? In verse 5, according to the good pleasure of His will. This gives God pleasure to do this. It pleases God to bless you, child of God, in this way. And look at glory, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Accepted, the Greek word is charizo, better translated, highly favored. He, in His love, by His grace, has made you, child of God, highly favored, blessed, richly blessed. Flip over to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3, a couple of chapters forward. God is glorified most by the grace He gives. And I want to make sure that I have this citation correct. Galatians, we said chapter 3. Okay, definitely not there. Okay, chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Grace to you. Well, that's grace. And peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, that's grace, that we, He might deliver us from the present evil age, that's grace. According to the will of our God and Father, that's grace. To whom be glory forever and ever, amen, that's glory. Do you see it? Grace and glory. Go to Jude that little book of one chapter, Jude, it's easy to slip right past it. Jude, verses 24 and 25. I said I'd bring you through several scriptures here. I just want you to see this is not Mark's idea. This is God's idea. I want your faith to rest upon the truth and certainty of God's Word. Here's what he says in Jude 24 and 25. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. What is that? Is that glory or grace? Grace. That's grace. And to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. That's grace too. He is able. Look, say this with me. He is able. He is able. God is able. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail a pet peeve that I have. Whenever I hear this, it's like somebody scratching their nails on a chalkboard. Ooh, just, ooh. It bothers me. I have heard it falsely said that God will never give you more than you can handle. That is one of the worst lies Satan ever came up with. That is so untrue. Let me ask you a question. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
How able were they able to handle a furnace fired up seven times, so hot that the guys that threw them in burned? Were their body able to sustain that thousands of degrees temperature? Right now, in standard steel down in Burnham, uh, the company I work for, our guys are up above hot, blazing hot uh, stuff they're making. These rail uh, wheels and stuff. And it's so hot. You mean to tell me that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was able to handle that? You're kidding. Of course not. How about Daniel and the lions then? Do you know that they, those lions were not fed for a week? They were hungry, man. They'd eat anything that was thrown down. You think Daniel was able to handle that? God God never give you anything you can't handle. Cute. That is such a lie. God will many times give you much more than you can handle. Why? And by the way, when I have shared this with people who are going through tough times, cancer, unemployment, I tell them this, they invariably start crying. And they say, thank you for telling me that. Because I wasn't able to handle it. And I said, you never were supposed to. God can handle it. God said to Paul in 2 Corinthians, and that whole epistle is about him not being able to handle all sorts of stuff. They're out to kill him. Talk about stress. And in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he said, uh, we're under enormous pressure, more than we could endure. But he said, this happened that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And he was, that wasn't a figure of speech. They're out to kill him. He figured, well, if they, if they kill me, God still wants me around, he'll just raise me up from the dead. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's dealing with an overwhelming situation. We don't know exactly what it was, but it's described as a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. I believe it was a demon. Was he demon-possessed? No. But I'll tell you what, whether the, and, and probably the demon was in a person who followed him around and harassed and harassed and harassed and harassed and harassed day and night. Have you ever had one of those people in your life? I thought I was the only one. And he pleaded with the Lord three times to get rid of it. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you know what sufficient means? Oh, the English translation of that Greek word is so weak. It means to be possessed with unfailing strength. That's what sufficient means. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect, literally the Greek is, in your no strength. Here's another pet peeve that's related to this. I get really boiling hot mad when I see a depiction of Samson as this big, burly, muscular guy. He wasn't. He probably was a little skinny, whippy guy who talked like this because his strength came from the Lord. You cut his hair and it's gone, right? Well, obviously it wasn't muscular strength. It was grace given by, it was strength given by God's grace. That's what it was. God will 
frequently, every day, give you something beyond what you can handle. Why? The answer is in 2 Corinthians 1.8. He said that we would not depend upon ourselves, but on him who raises the dead. These difficult times that we go through in life are not meant to make you strong. It's not. It's meant to make you weak. And in weakness is dependence. In weakness you say, I can't. And he said, that's all right, child. I can. I never meant for you to be God. I meant for me to be God. See, that's the glory of the omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful God who is able. I want you to take a moment right here, and I want you to think of the biggest challenge you're facing right now in your life. The biggest, hardest most challenging thing. It could be a physical issue. It could be a matter in your body, disease. It could be condition. Whatever it is. It could be a financial uh, difficulty. It could be a relational. But I want you to take a moment and I want you to think of that really hard, difficult, painful, impossible thing you are facing right now. Now that is there. Number one, we're in a rough world, full of sin, and there's a devil. God isn't giving it to you, but God is mighty to deliver. And the secret of his deliverance is not dependence on you, but dependence on him. See, God is glorified most in your life by the grace that he gives And grace is God totally loving you, totally accepting you, and totally blessing you, not because you're so good, but because he is that good. Uh, I took a job about a year and a half ago that was, I thought, somewhat related to my field, and getting into it, I found out I was way over my head. (laughs) And every day I go to work, it's way over my head. And sometimes I get to grumbling. You guys don't do that, do you? You do? Oh, okay. Sometimes I get to grumbling. Oh, we don't have enough of this. We don't, don't, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I don't know. Whenever you say not enough, you're depending on yourself. That's the clue. You're depending on yourself. When we're depending on God, we're thinking about, Lord, I just thank you that you are strong. And James 1.5 is, is a promise that I claim all the time. It says, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault and he will give it. Now I love it. God is not stingy. He gives generously and he's not looking at it going, well I got it but I'm not giving it to you. You know what you've done? Without finding fault. That means it's mine. And then in the very same context, it talks about faith not going back and forth, back and forth, wavering back and forth. See, we get this back and forth faith, whether we're facing something difficult in our life or we're facing a situation where maybe somebody needs a physical healing, uh, whether it be physical healing, emotional healing, deliverance, whatever. And, and God is able and God is willing That's what grace is all about. Grace is the willing heart of God to bless. 
And if you really start getting into this thing, you'll say, Lord, why do you do this? It's because he's glorified the most. Because what's on your mouth isn't how great you are, but how great he is. I need to wrap this thing up, bring it in for a landing. I want to take us over to uh, the Revelation. This comes up a lot in the Revelation. You know, we, uh, we're in a time in which, and again, I'll cite my age, 54 years. I have never in all of my days seen the world get as crazy as I've seen over the last just few years. I mean, on every dimension, everything has gone weird. And we see what's going on in the Middle East and what's happening in Iraq, and we need to pray for them. But God chose that little strip of land, and he said right there in that place of all the earth, I'm going to do some amazing things. The first coming of my son, the second coming of my son, we can't escape it. Now in the Revelation, quickly, let's go to Revelation 1. And this is looking um, into the future. And it says, grace to you, that's grace, and peace from him who is and was and is to come, that's glory. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over all the kings of the earth, that's glory. To him who loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood, that's grace and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. That's grace. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's glory. See what God has done? He's made us kings and priests to Jesus, God and Father. And how did he do it? He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's grace, right? And what's the result of this? Glory. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And verse 4, what do we say? Amen. So be it. We're right there in the chorus. Now go to Revelation 4. Revelation 4, beginning in verse 10 through 11. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, that's glory, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, that's glory, for you created all things, that's grace, and by your will they exist and were created, that's grace. So, we exist by God's will, out of the grace of God. And that glorifies God. Now let's go to Revelation 7. Verses 9-11. through 11. This is the huge multitude of people who come out of the great tribulation. And uh, Revelation 7 beginning in verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes, that's, glory, that's grace, with palm branches in their hands. 
Can you imagine this huge number of people? I was at a Promise Keepers event back in the 90s uh, over at, uh, in Pittsburgh, and I think there was like 50,000 guys that were in the stadium. How many fellas have been to Promise Keepers? I'll tell you, I will never forget the sound of so many men singing and worshiping God. It, and I heard, people told me about it, but experiencing it was, it, you, you saw grown, big, burly men with Steelers jerseys on, weeping openly. Because there's something inside of us that just cries out, worthy is the Lamb. You deserve the glory. You are the one who is awesome. And to hear those voices, but that's nothing compared to this incredible throng of people, a multitude. And here's what they said. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation is grace. And Lamb is the sacrifice. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the one who's the perfect offering that's grace. He's the one whose blood is shed. At the all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's glory. Do you see this connection point even at the culmination of the ages where we see a lamb? There's a place where there are these seals that have to be opened. And John the Revelator looks and there's no one worthy to open the seals. Not even angels. And he begins to weep. Why is he weeping? Because those seals open represent the commencing of the purposes of God. It's like, oh no. Will the purposes of God be stopped? Because no one can be found worthy. And then he looked and he saw one as a lamb slain. Go with me to verse 9. Actually, Revelation 7, beginning in verse... Let's see, let me get this right. Let's go to Revelation 5, beginning in verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you, Jesus, Lamb of God, were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Do you know what redemption means? It means a price that's been paid to ransom you from Satan and self and sin and bring you into the kingdom of God. You redeemed us by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us, listen to this, kings and priests to our God. Wow, we don't deserve any of this stuff. That's grace. And we shall reign on the earth. 
Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, that's grace, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, that's glory. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. Don't take my word for it. Take the word for it. And I skipped over a whole bunch of verses. There's a lot more that bring a direct tie to the highest moments of worship and glory to God in the entire Bible. And right there you see grace. You want to glorify God? God is glorified most in your life by the grace He gives. And grace is God totally loving you, totally accepting you, and totally blessing you, not because you are so good, but because He is that good. Let's pray. Father, I... Wow, words can hardly describe the sense that's in my spirit, but to say thanks... How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave and give to prove your love to me. The voices of a thousand million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am or ever hope to be I owe it all to Thee. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things He has done. With His blood, He has purchased me. By His power, He has raised me. To God be the glory for the things He has done done and so lord we just say amen to the truth and the reality of your grace given through jesus christ grace that was given to us before time began before the foundation of the world and so father i pray now you would take holy spirit this word that has been delivered and i pray that you by the power of the holy spirit would Grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of You. We thank You, Lord, that the eyes of our heart have been enlightened. And Father, I pray so we would know the riches of the glory of Your grace. Father, that we would understand Your power and the greatness of the power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted Him to Your right hand. And Father, I just thank You right now for what You're doing in my heart and life. 
and in the lives of those that are here and those that will ever hear this message, that you are doing a miracle of your revealing of your heart and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.